And our preaching text comes from Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, we are entering into the Sermon on the Mount today. So this is Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, and it is probably the most famous of Jesus' sermons, the most uh, famous uh, collection of teachings of Jesus uh, given in one place uh, in all of the four Gospels. Uh, Matthew's gospel is kind of divided up into these five discourses, they're kind of uh, said, where you have Jesus uh, teaching for a while, and then he goes and he does miracles and, and heals and, and these sorts of things, and then he goes back and he teaches again for a while, and then there's more stories of miracles, and then teaching, and then miracles back and forth. Uh, Matthew has laid out his telling of Jesus's story in this way. And this sermon is the first of these, and it is also the longest of these. And uh, depending on who you ask, I guess it's perhaps the most important of these. It's certainly uh, the one that Matthew chose to put first uh, when he was putting his gospel together. And uh, we are going to be in this sermon for the next couple of weeks. So we're going to spend three Sundays total in the sermon. So we're in chapter 5 today. We'll be in chapter 6 next Sunday and chapter 7 the Sunday after that, just so you have a sense of what's coming up. 
So as I mentioned, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is probably the most famous sermon of Jesus uh, that Jesus gives. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because when Jesus sees these crowds coming to him, he goes up on a mountain or perhaps up on the side of a mountain, up sort of above the people where he can be seen. And he looks out and he speaks uh, to his disciples who are there. But the whole crowd, you can imagine, is overhearing all of these words that Jesus is giving uh, during this sermon on on the mount. And if you were there, if you were a Jew at that time, and you see this teacher climbing up a mountain and beginning to teach, you might be reminded of something. Can you think of any uh, thing that we heard earlier uh, in this year, back in the fall, of somebody going up on a mountain and coming back with commands from God? Does that remind you of anyone? Sounds like Moses, doesn't it? Yeah, so we have this parallel of Moses. So Jesus is acting a little bit like Moses right away. And we know that Moses goes and he brings the commands of God, right? Especially the Ten Commandments. Uh, He brings these commands to the people. Uh, So when Jesus goes up on the mountain and begins to teach in sort of the posture and the location of Moses, different mountain, but the idea is there, we might expect that Jesus is going to do something similar, right? Jesus is going to also present us with some commands from God. Jesus is going to teach the law. Jesus is going to be perhaps some sort of new Moses, And if you read uh, about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, if you go into a Christian bookstore and you look for books on, say, discipleship, for example, very often the Sermon on the Mount will be one of the key places they focus. In fact, some of them will only be in the Sermon on the Mount because there are so many uh, lists of things uh, that seem special, these lists of laws, of rules, of things uh, that makes somebody a Christian or a disciple. What does it mean to be Christian or disciple? Well, you can just walk through the Sermon on the Mount and you can see a lot of these things. And so the common way of reading the Sermon on the Mount, of understanding, has been of Jesus delivering a Christian law now, of Jesus being sort of the new and improved Moses delivering a new and improved law for us to use in order to be Christians, in order to be disciples, in order to live together. And there's different ways that you hear this said. Uh, One of the ways uh, that you hear about this new and improved law is perhaps Jesus is presenting here some kingdom ethics, right? So these are the ethics of what it means to live in the kingdom. These are the the rules to govern a Christian society or a Christian community or perhaps just a church. Kind of depends how big you think Jesus is going here. Um, Or perhaps he's presenting a new and improved law that is an internal law. It's a law of the heart rather than the old external law of Moses that was concerned mostly with our actions and sacrifices and things on the outside. Or maybe you hear it this way, uh, that Jesus is giving a Christian law that is the old law of Moses, but it's sort of cleaned up from its ceremonial legalism. So the old law of Moses had, of course, the Ten Commandments, but it also had all of these rules about sacrifices and how long you had to go before you went to the priest to become clean after uh, various things had happened. If you were involved in a burial, for example, you couldn't go to the temple for so many days and so on and so forth. Uh, and so Jesus here is giving the Christian law cleansed of all of this ceremonial legalism beforehand. One way or another, the common way of understanding this is Jesus is giving us a new law that we can then use to become disciples, to become Christians, to be righteous before God. Of course, there's a problem with this, and the problem is 
that it doesn't really actually fit with the words that Jesus himself is saying in this passage. If you come to the Sermon on the Mount looking for a law that you can use to become righteous, to become more holy, to increase your holiness in this life, you're going to have to either twist Jesus' words a bit or you're going to be disappointed. I mean, let's look at a few of these. So uh, right at the beginning of our reading, we have the Beatitudes. And, um, and if you come to this and you come to the Beatitudes, so the Beatitudes are these blessing words, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and so on. Uh, and you come to this and you're looking for uh, something that you can use to make yourself righteous before God. What do you see in the Beatitudes? What do you see in these blessings? Well, you see a list of things to try and be, Right? So you see Jesus say, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, ah, there it is. I need to be poor in spirit, and then I will get the kingdom of heaven. So my job in life now is to become poor in spirits, to become lacking in spirit in some way. Or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Ah, if I want to be comforted by God, and of course I do, I need to learn how to mourn properly. And, and maybe we come up with some spiritual interpretation of what it means to mourn in a world uh, dominated by sin, to mourn the world's unrighteousness or something like this. Uh, blessed are the meek. Oh, I need to be meek in order to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ah, I need to be apparently lacking in righteousness so that I can be filled by God. This is the command that Jesus is giving me. But of course, none of these are commands, are they? They're promises. These are actually blessings. Jesus is giving something. He's not commanding something. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, you, you who do not have enough spirit, you are blessed, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's go to another example. So if you come to this looking for a law that you can use, uh, you might come near the end of our reading, uh, over down to verse uh, 18, uh, where Jesus talks about heaven and earth passing away. So truly, I tell you, he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Wait, so if Jesus is giving us a new and improved law, one that's cleansed of all the, you know, the ceremonial legalism of the old law, or one that, you know, guts rid of the externalism of the other one and gives us an internal law that deals with the heart, does he really mean not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, not even the dot of an I or the crossing of a T will pass away until heaven and earth pass away, until the old creation passes away? doesn't quite seem to fit very well. Or if you go on, uh, so this is actually after our reading, but I want to uh, mention it because we won't hear it next week. Uh, if, you, if you went down to verse 27, you hear this word about adultery, and this is a famous word. Uh, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, that's one of the Ten Commandments. We know that one. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if we come to this word looking for a Christian law that we can use to be better Christians, we're going to say uh, something like this. Maybe you've heard it taught this way. Uh, well, you know, you can't really control if you, you know, have this feeling of lust when you look at a person. Um, but you, as long as you don't keep on looking, right? You know, so you make that decision as soon as you notice that you're lusting. You make that decision to turn your eyes away. Uh, and then you've avoided this sin. That's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, uh, Anyone or everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
already. That first look, even if you chose as soon as you can to look away, you have already revealed yourself in your heart to be an adulterer. You've already transgressed the law, and the transgression is already there. You know, the end of chapter 5 is the worst one of all. Are you ready for this one? Here's the last verse in chapter 5. Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if you want to find a law that you can use, what do you turn that into? Strive for perfection, therefore, just as God is perfect. Or do your very level best, and God will do the rest. This is something that was said around Luther's time. Probably not in English. I don't know if it rhymed. Um, But that's not what he says. He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not just like human perfection, but God's perfection. That is what this law is. Demand. So if Jesus is not giving us a new Christian law by which we can improve our own holiness, by which we can establish our own righteousness, what is he doing? Well, he's taking the law from us. He's not giving a law. He is taking it away from us as a tool that we can use by applying it all the way in the way it always was intended to be used. He's not giving a new law. He's rather just showing what the old law has always meant. The old law always meant love. Sometimes you hear this, well, Jesus has a law of love, whereas the Old Testament was a law of sacrifice or something like that. No, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. These are commands in the Old Testament. It's always demanded this of us. The law has always found us to be guilty as adulterers. The law has always found us to be guilty as murderers, even if the act never escapes our heart. That's another one that Jesus looks at in chapter 5. So Jesus applies the law fully to us in the Sermon on the Mount, and by doing so, he takes it away from us. It's not something we get to use to prove ourselves righteous any longer. It's not our tool to use. Rather, it is God's tool to show us who we are. Now, we sinners aren't ever really looking for that from God. What we want from God as sinners, and this is the human condition, this is the condition of of all religion, as far as I can tell, religious people everywhere. This is what religious people want from God. The details might change. Religious people want God to give a law of some kind, to give some rules, to lay out the groundwork, and then to step back and let us, you know, make a good go of it. Let us see how we'll do. What sorts of choices are we going to make with these rules that God has laid out? Now, the the details may change. Uh, In fact, uh, you could have this sort of uh, thought and not have a reference to God at all, but rather the rules of what it means to be a good human or to be one with the universe or, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, They want, we want, uh, rules laid out and then God to step back and give us some space so that we can figure it out on our own, so that we can exercise our free choice and decide whether we're going to obey or disobey. But Jesus doesn't allow for that here. Jesus doesn't allow for there to be any accomplishing of this law. Jesus doesn't allow for there to be any distance either. I mean, Jesus says things like this. This is the last verse of our reading. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, um, 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This righteousness is not just, you know, try as hard as you can, make some good decisions, but rather it is a righteousness that must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is be perfect. And as we know from Scripture, God is not distant, but inescapably present. We hear this in Psalm 139. Uh, if I go to the depths, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the far side of the sea, you are there. God, I can't get away from you. Jonah learned this, right? He goes down into the belly of the ship. Uh, he goes down into the belly of a fish. And even there, he cannot escape from God. So where does this leave us? If the righteousness that is demanded of us is perfection, and remember, the scribes and the Pharisees are the most righteous people around. These are the experts on the law. The scribes are the ones who copy the the scriptures, the scrolls of the Old Testament, over and over again to make new copies. They know it better than anyone. The Pharisees are the ones who are going extra steps in order to fulfill God's law and help others do the same. Uh, It's sort of like if Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of pastors and evangelists, you will by no means enter into the the kingdom of heaven, if that's where it is, and if God's not distant waiting to see how we do, but present with us every single moment, even as we fail and reveal ourselves as unrighteous before the law, what hope can we have? Because according to God's holy law, we are irredeemable. There's no way back. So Jesus does something different here because God does not just have one word. God is not bound by the law, but God has another word. God is free to give the gospel. And the gospel is this, that in Jesus Christ, the law, as he says, is fulfilled and it is fulfilled for you. And in your baptism, and again and again, in communion, and in preaching, and in the promises that have been given to you in any way uh, that God has been able to get them into your ear, God has been giving you a righteousness which is not yours, which you did not earn, but which has come from Christ. And that righteousness is the only righteousness in all of human history that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It is the only righteousness that actually accomplishes being perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we get this righteousness, we hear it, it's given to us, we receive it, but we always want to add a little bit onto it, right? It's not enough to just receive Jesus' righteousness for us. We don't really want to just be, you know, takers, freeloaders. We want to add a little bit of it. So we take Jesus' righteousness, and we say this is a great starting point. Let me just sprinkle some of my own righteousness on top. That'll really complete the picture. Won't God be so happy with what I've done, with this righteousness that he's given me when I sprinkle some of my own? And so we come up with something that we have to do, right? We say, well, we have to accept it. Or we say, well, we have to try, right? You know, obviously we can't accomplish it, but we have to do our, 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 do our level best uh, after Jesus has given us the grace to keep trying. Or we say, well, we have to at least believe the right things, right? So we have to say the right things. We have to say, I believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We go through the Apostles' Creed or whatever it is. Uh, we say, well, at least we have to do these things. And then we turn this wonderful gospel of grace back into a new 
Christian law, a very small law, it's not much law, but unto a new law for us to follow. And Paul says it very clearly in Galatians that if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Just a little bit leavens the whole loaf, and in this case, not in a good way. So where does that leave us? That leaves us as people who are righteous, not through any act of our own. In fact, our own acts tend to make us more unrighteous rather than righteous. We are people who are righteous purely passively, doing nothing but receiving a grace, a righteousness that is being applied to us again and again by a God who has chosen us for no, uh, through no sense, through no uh, uh, good of our own. God has chosen us through his grace. And God is giving you this righteousness again and again and again in baptism, in communion, in preaching, in scripture. Every little way that God can do it in order to make you righteous, in order to make you one who can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the world will struggle against this. It does always. It will say, well, that's clearly not good enough. You have to do this, right? Your old sinner self in you will try and fight this and turn this gospel back into some kind of law for you to follow. But never will you be able to accomplish that because Jesus Christ is here now. He is giving you his righteousness, which has already been accomplished, his victory, which has already been won on the cross, and it belongs to you. Now you are free. You are free to be here in this world, free to act in the ways that you can now act. You don't have to worry about your righteousness. You can do what seems to be right to you, which is often doing things in sacrifice for your neighbor, right? You can give away the things that you have been clinging to to make yourself holy because you don't need them. Jesus Christ has been your holiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.